Welcome to the Anyona Podcast. On this show, we cover everything you need to know from early childhood development and education to parenting tips and much more. Now over to our hosts, Tracy and Zoe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Adiona Family. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that comes up a lot in care from in day-to-day practice. Um, we have a lot of parents come to us with questions about this topic and Tracy has done some amazing parent nights about this topic. So we thought we would add this one to our list and that is around toilet learning. Now, this is very much a partnership in care situations between parents and families, and it's something that we have to communicate a lot about. So we're hopeful that this information will be really helpful for you as well. Now, Tracy, I thought maybe we could start by explaining why we call it toilet learning rather than toilet training at Adiona. We call it toilet learning because it is a process that the Training, uh, the word training implies that it is something that we do to children. We train them to be able to use the toilet. Whereas because we want children to be intrinsically motivated and we want them to learn how to care for their bodies and their well-being and we want this to be something that creates healthy habits, not unhealthy habits, that's why we want it to be a learning, which implies that we will work with them, we will guide them, but it comes from within themselves. Yeah, I guess it steps away from that idea of conditioning children to do something where that comes from behaviourist theory and that's about thinking that children can be conditioned into doing something and it disregards thoughts and feelings and sometimes a natural process of things as well. Absolutely. And as I said, we with that, we run the, especially when it comes to toileting habits, we really run the risk that we are doing more damage than good for the child long term, which, um, you know, can sometimes even take medical intervention to undo. So we really want to go from it working cooperatively with the child because that's going to have the best long-term outcomes for everybody involved. And I guess when we really think about it uh, as well, just going down to the basis of learning versus training, it, it is a huge learning point in the child's development as well. Oh, absolutely. We often talk about how with children, you know, that realistically they have such little control over what happens in their lives and the things that they can control are sleeping, eating and toileting. They're really the three things that they, um, we, as much as we can try and coerce and bribe and do, you know, try and make them do things, they're the three things that they actually have control over. So if we make it a power battle or we are trying to um, make them do something, Um, we really run the risk that they will use that to uh, seize control and make it a lot more difficult for for everybody. So not making it a power struggle is really, really important. And the way we do that is by having the child on board. Excellent. And um, Tracy, I guess one of the questions that we get a lot, that our educators get a lot at Adiona is, how do I know when my child is ready to toilet train? Sure. Or learn, sorry. This is is really, um, it's going to, be different for every single child. So some children may be ready earlier, some children may be later. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong or anything going on for that child. It's just literally where their body is at. And there's a number of different things that's happening. There's psychological reasons as well as, as physiological. So what I might do is I might just go through a little bit about how that works um, and then we can go through the signs that they may be ready to start um, toilet learning. So when children or babies and infants, they're going to the toilet is a reflex. They don't have, we don't have any control over it. 
it happens basically the baby bladder fills, a signal travels to the spinal cord um, and a reflex signal comes straight back to the bladder and the bladder empties. The great thing about that is they don't have to think about it, they just go. So a lot of our my research came from Dr. Stephen Hodges. He's written a book about it and he reckons that this is probably the healthiest that all of our bladders ever are because we don't have any decision making in it. It just happens. Our body takes control of it. And he his thoughts are that, you know, while he understands that parents are in a hurry to get children out of nappies, he loves it. Because, as I said, this is when he thinks that our our peeing, and he calls it pooping habits, are at our healthiest. The blood is doing exactly what it's meant to do. It fills and empties regularly. um, And there's no holding back, waiting um, until they finish playing or anything like that. As we get older, though, we start to, our body changes. And so this is where children, even though you think, okay, they're two, they're ready, their bodies internally may not have started to make these changes yet. And that's when, you know, in adults or anyone who is, um, has learnt to use the toilet, the brain controls the bladder. So now what happens is when your bladder is full, the signal then has to travel from your bladder all the way up your spinal cord into your brain and your brain gives you the signal that it's time to go to the bathroom and then has to travel all the way back down the signal. You have to give the okay, travels all the way back down to the bathroom, to the, sorry, your to your bladder and allows you to release. So you can see that there's a big jump there and obviously that's going to take time and practice to get, um, get used to. Especially for children who are quite often – at that point in their development, also very engrossed in what they're doing. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This is exactly what happens. So when children used to learn the toilet, there's two main things that happen. So firstly, they have to become aware and recognize the urge. So, um, and one thing I think in modern society that we're not necessarily great at is listening to our bodies. Um, and so this is where it's really important that we want to encourage children to do that from a really young age. So to listen to their bodies and to feel the urge and go, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean I need to do? What does my body need? I think that's quite obvious sometimes when you have children who are toilet learning and all of a sudden they do something in the toilet and they're quite surprised. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And yet you also have those other children who even when they are still wearing nappies who – you can see oh, they get the look on yeah. their face and they'll go find a place very quiet and private and, and do what they need to do. Um, so they're obviously in touch with their body and recognising the the urges that are coming through. So once they've become aware of the urge, they then need to learn how to control when they go. And that is by squeezing and rea- relaxing the urethral sphincter or, or the rectum. sphincter, the process is no longer confined to the spinal cord reflex. So they have to physically, I say physically, obviously we don't think about it when we do it, but the brain has to send the signal to allow that to happen. And so now the child has to sense that her bladder is full, decides that she wants to go, find a comfortable and safe space to relieve themselves. Now for every child, this will be different. You'll have children who won't mind peeing in front of the whole world. You'll have other children who want that to be very private and quiet. You'll have other children who won't want to stop what they're doing or will get halfway there and become distracted or 
even the other side of it, which is also an issue, is, you know, wanting to be done so quickly so they can get back that they don't fully empty their bladder, things like that. So, you know, you can see that when the brain gets involved for a child, the two-year-olds, we know, don't necessarily make the best decisions. Um, And so when they're making decisions about this sort of thing, it can get a little tricky. (laughs) So they have to then take the time. So they need to go to the bathroom, relax the sphincter, take the time to actively complete emptying their batter or blow. And that's a a lot um, for them to be doing without then adding on to top of that the ability to be able to pull down underwear, sit down on a toilet, like climb up and sit down on a toilet for any length of time, those sorts of things. Yeah. Chloe, actually, that's a really good point, um, especially in a care situation. Um, and your educators would normally talk to you about having appropriate clothing when they are ready to toilet learn. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really important because it adds to that sense of independence for them. And especially when they're learning, by the time they get the urge and then, you know, have to find somebody to come and um, even at home, you know, the, the three seconds it takes to call out for mum or dad to come and help them pull down their pants um, could mean the difference between whether they make it to the bathroom or not. And it plays into that level of success and that intrinsic reward for succeeding as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I know that um, because of that reason, a lot of parents choose to wait till summer, um, <laughs> that that toilet learning occurs according to the season, not necessarily to the child um, because of that reason. Um, and certainly that's something to take into consideration. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite funny. So anyway, so that's why Dr. Stephen doesn't recommend toilet training before the age of three or thereabouts, which also challenges our traditional notion of when toilet training should occur because a lot of us are thinking, oh, there too, there should be toilet training. Whereas if we really want it to be meaningful and we want it to be learning and we want the child to succeed, closer to three is probably more appropriate where they're able to actually control their bodily functions. Yep. And from my um, experience of witnessing this um, at Adiona, I often see that the children who wait that little bit longer, it happens a lot quicker and it's much more successful. Yeah, it's a lot stressful for a lot less stressful for everybody involved generally. And as I said, it just creates healthier habits. It takes the pressure off. Obviously, if your child is showing, and we we'll, can talk about this later as well, showing an interest and in asking, there's no harm in going through that. But I think realistically in the back of your head just to go, okay, we're not going to, you know, we can't really expect this to work until they're about three. That's okay. Yeah. You might just save yourself and, and your child a lot of grief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's definitely children who will toilet train earlier, um, toilet learn earlier, but you know, everyone's experience is very different with this. And yeah. I'm sure even with you, with two children, it was quite different for each child. Absolutely. And I think maybe even between genders, because obviously, you know, the the way that they go and, you know, having to wipe and not wipe and all of this <laughs> sort of thing, it all plays a difference um, into their their confidence and their ability to be able to do it independently. So I guess that, you know, when you are thinking about when is an appropriate time to introduce the concept of the ch- toilet learning, um, and for some children you may have to have a discussion about it, other children will naturally let you know when they're ready. These are the sort of things that we need to look out for. So 
there's three main points. So physically, the child needs to have um, bladder capacity and muscle control. Now, that's not something that you can easily see. So you're just going to have to judge how that's going. Cognitively, children need to know when they need to go and what they need to do when they get to the bathroom. And emotionally, and this is probably something we haven't touched on yet, um, is that children need to be ready to let go of nappies and let go of what belongs to them in the nappies. So this goes back to what I said before about children having control about genuine real control over very, very few things in their life. And for some children, you know, we've seen it across all of our services across, you know, the the number of years I've worked in childcare that they become attached to either the nappy or what is in the nappy and to be getting rid of it feels like getting rid of a part of them or there's like that's mine that belongs to me and I know it doesn't make sense to us necessarily as adults who are thinking well it's a bit gross let's get rid of it but we also have to be very careful in our language that we use when we talk about that because we don't want to make bodily functions anything to be ashamed of or to be embarrassed about. It's a part of life. We all do it. Um, so we want to be factual. So say that a child doesn't want to have their nappy changed um, and they have pooped, as Dr. Steve calls it, um, then, you know, we wouldn't be using language like, oh, that's so smelly, that's gross, you know, you got to get gro- get it off your bottom, it's so foul or something like that. We would just be, you know, factual saying, I understand that you want to keep it. However, if we let you leave you in that nappy, you'll get a sore bottom and it won't be very comfortable for you. So we keep it fact-based and we don't use any descriptive or emotive language around it that is negative. Yeah, all those euphemisms like stinky and yucky and poopy and all of that, we definitely try to avoid. Yeah, that's right. And when in those situations too, inviting the child to participate as much as possible um, you know, whether it's a ceremonial flushing or putting in the bin or whatever <laughs> needs to happen um, and just understanding that child's perspective. You might not agree with it, but you have to acknowledge it. Yeah. They're still trying to figure out the world, we have to remember. <laughs> and part of that is this process. So Yeah, yeah. And sometimes too, you know, the emotional part is probably the bit that may come last for most children, the being able to let go of nappies and things. Quite often families and, and, and even some early childhood educators at other centres would um, say things, you know, oh, it's time to use the toilet because you're a big girl or you're a big boy now. And quite often you'll see them they will have a bit – they won't want to let go of their nappies because for us while being coming big might be something to achieve for them. It can be scary. They don't want to be a big girl. They want to be a baby. They want to be looked after. They want to be hugged and loved and kissed. And, of course, all of that's still going to happen. But for them, the idea, the concept of becoming big isn't necessarily a reward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very loose term as well. What does that actually mean to become a big girl or a big boy or a big person? It's um, yeah. It could mean anything. <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. Am I suddenly going to be a teenager? They might be thinking. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So I guess some things that you can watch out for, which will be a sign that your child's telling you that they're ready, is that if they're able to um, have dry nappies for two to three hours at a time, or they wake up from a nap with a dry nappy, it's showing you that they may have some level of control 
going on there, or at least the bladder capacity to be able to hold for a length of time. They show increased awareness of bodily functions. So that's what I was talking to you about before with the child who, you know, they get a look on their face when they're going to do a poo and they take themselves off somewhere quietly or they might say to you, you know, I'm weeing or I'm going to do a wee, something like that. Um, They tell you when they have finished peeing or pooping. They dislike staying, the sensation of staying in um, wet or soiled clothing or nappies. Um, And I do believe, obviously, if you're using cloth nappies at home, they would probably feel that sensation a little bit more. Um, If you are thinking of entering into toilet learning, it sometimes can be valuable if you're using disposables to do ones more where it just lets them have that sensation for a little while before it absorbs it all away. You know, obviously we don't want anybody getting any rashes or anything, but I do know there's products out there where it at least, you know, sits there so they can feel that they have done a wee or or whatever. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, Tracy. I think that... um once they kind of have that idea of something coming out of their body and there's a sensation of that and they can start to make that connection, um, I think that's really helpful for some children. Yeah. I, you know, and once again, it's personal preference. I know with my children personally, I went to the old school Terry Towling, um, you know, puffy knicker things because, you know, it didn't go everywhere but it still gave them that feeling. But once again, not until they were sort of three or older. If they're showing an interest in wanting to sit on the toilet or if you're doing a potty, a potty, or express a desire to wear underwear. Now, this still may happen before they may physically be ready to toilet, to learn to use the toilet because they have older siblings or they see you, but there's no harm in letting them explore that. They have to be able to follow a two-step um, two instruction because as we went through before, going to the toilet, it's more than just going to the toilet. You've got to make the choice to go there. You've got to pull down your pants. You've got to pull down your undies. You've got to sit on the toilet. You've got to release. You've then got to wipe. You've then got to stand up. You know, So there's lots of steps involved. So they have to be able to follow two-step instructions minimally um, and they're able to pull their pants up and down easily. That's a fair bit. <laughs> that is a lot. So um, – <laughs> You'd be wanting to sort of tick off a lot of those boxes before you even sort of seriously started thinking about whether your child was ready. So the way that we as adults or or carers can help with this process is that we can just provide an optimal environment. So we can try and provide an environment with lots of choice, um, with lots of you know, and this sounds a little bit horrific, but role modelling, if you're an open door kind of household, um, those sorts of things. Obviously at kindy because, or at childcare, should I say, they have the open doors so they are seeing other children throughout the day. And we just have to wait patiently. As parents, you know, we are keen to get rid of the nappies. We are keen for them to move on to the next step. But we just have to be wait patiently for them to be ready um, and for them to indicate their desire and willingness to participate in the process. So all we can do is put out the invitations, accept it when they say no um, or when they show they're not ready and just keep waiting. I know for a lot of families there is always a temptation to go down the path of rewards for toilet learning. I'm always a little cautious of that. (laughs) What are your thoughts, Tracy? I think... That with rewards, it's tricky 
because it can lead us down the path of really ingraining some unhealthy habits with children, you know, maybe going and not releasing properly in order to get the reward. Yep. Or maybe, you know, if they do have an accident, understanding that if that, you know, signal to the brain isn't happening 100% of the time yet and it's not their fault that they then, by not getting a reward that day because they had an accident, that that then is punishing something that they have very little control over. Yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts around toilet learning and rewards as well because – and also sometimes as in a practical sense, if you're in a situation where you've gone out as a parent for the day and you don't have that reward with you and then they do – um, manage to do whatever the reward is for, then uh, you know that's a it's a it's kind of a, a misleading reward in that regard as well. Absolutely, and then you know we've all heard the stories of you know the child wanting an M M&M and M every time they do a poo. Well, how long is that you're able to keep that up? You know, at what point do you go? Okay, well you've been doing this for three months now, no more M&Ms, you know, you know was, um, and then does the child regress? Because because has it been a true learning where the child has led it or is it are they just doing it for the M&Ms even though they're emotionally not really ready to do that? And I guess it also comes down to the fact that this is actually a natural thing that occurs and it's a natural part of our learning. Uh, so to reward it is kind of anti-intuitive as well. Yeah, absolutely. And even, I guess, too, what we would encourage families and what we try and do at our services across not just with toilet learning but with all things is to match the child's excitement with it. So if the child, you know, does their first wee on the toilet but they're very much like, oh, okay, whatever, well, then you be, oh, okay, whatever. Like you can be happy in doing somersaults and go upstairs and have a glass of champagne. That's fine. But just try and match the child's excitement where they're at. Obviously, if the child's super excited because this is something that they've been watching everyone else do and they finally got to do it, you know, meet them there with that. That's fine. Um, but we don't want to be making a big deal out of the something that the child just sees as, oh, well, my body just did this, you know, because <laughs> um, you said it is a natural process. Yeah. And that's a little bit about natural personality as well, because some children will just be like nonchalant, oh, that's happened. I'm moving on. And that's just who they are. And then other children will insist on everyone in the room coming and having a look. And I yeah. think that, <laughs> that is a little bit about who they are as well. So, um, yeah, I think I think matching their excitement is always a good thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And look, some days they may be more excited than others. So that's fine too. So it's just seeing where they're at that day and what they need. Um, and, you know, and you can acknowledge it though. You can very calmly go, you did a wee on the toilet. You've been practicing doing that for a long time now or whatever the situation may be. Yep. And I guess probably like going back to what I was saying before about not wanting to make it a power struggle is that the more relaxed that we can be about it as parents and as educators at the service, the more relaxed the child is going to be about it and the less it's going to become a power battle. Yep. It's going to become less about the child knowing they get this reaction when they do this or testing what that reaction reaction will be because if the reaction is always going to be whether they've had an accident or whether they've gone to the toilet, the reaction is always calm and even, I acknowledge what has happened and this is what we're going to do next, then it really, it really puts it back on the child to do what 
they think is best for them and not about I need to see what reaction from I'm going to get from mum when I do this or what reaction I'm going to get from dad when I do this. And, you know, I think that plays into what you were saying before, Zoe, about educators and families being on the same page because we have had it before where, you know, children will toilet really well at, <laughs> yeah. at, um, at childcare or not at home or vice versa and it has a lot to do with the um, not with the child's ability but more with the uh, power dynamics or the relationships going on in that situation. Yeah, and toilet learning is a great place to push some boundaries as well. So we see that sometimes as well. Absolutely. It's really worth having a discussion with the members of your household and, you know, with your educators about what your rules are going to be about that. Is it going to be that, you know, the firm boundaries about how much toilet paper can be taken off the roll at one time? (laughs) Because for sure there's going to be a day where they pull it all the way off and all of those sorts of things. It's good just to have an idea so everyone's on the same page and no matter who's assisting them, we all know what's meant to be happening, the process. Yeah. And I guess that's a really good point as well that toilet learning can actually go on for quite a long time because absolutely. (laughs) uh, once you're through one state, the initial stage of it, then it's the next stage of learning to wipe correctly and, you know, toilet etiquette and using the bathroom correctly. So it actually goes on for quite a period of time. Just personally, you know, every day I'm having to remind someone in my household to flush the toilet. (laughs) So yeah, I guess what I really want to reassure families through this is that we may feel pressure from society to have our toilet or even from older generations definitely or, or, or people our peers parents <laughs> yeah to have other parents to have our oh isn't your child toilet trained mine was toilet trained at 18 months that sort of thing or comparisons to you as a child as well from your your parents as well. yes <laughs> oh you were toilet trained at 18 months <laughs> that's right exactly right <laughs> whereas we want you to understand that 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 the science and the evidence doesn't necessarily back that up Um, and that if you really had the discussion with those people, you would find that they're probably still having a lot of accidents or that later in life they started having accidents, um, that there's a lot of bedwetting, all those sorts of things still going on because I think everyone's definition of what is toilet trained, and I say that with quotation marks, is that um, is probably a little bit different as well. So what we want is holistic toilet learning where it becomes a completely independent process. So I really want to empower families to be able to say, no, I know when this is the right time for my child. You know, obviously if we started getting up towards the age of three and a half, four, and your child was still not wanting to use the bathroom, we may look at some other things but it's perfectly appropriate to sort of wait till much closer to three before starting that process. So I guess some practical things that families can do when you're looking at engaging in the toilet learning process is that the most important one is to invite children to actively participate. Well, sorry, the most important one is for parents to remain calm (laughs) and nonplussed by the situation as much as possible. Then secondly is that to invite children to actively participate. So that 
it's something that we encourage you doing from birth um, in terms of nappy changes, um, once they become talking to them about what you're doing, what's happening, you know, getting them used to their concept, your body makes urine and it passes out of you and we need to wipe it away otherwise it will hurt your skin and, you know, we get rid of it. It's the, you know, we talk about all those things when we do nappy changes and then as they get older into toddlerhood, you know, we invite them to wipe themselves with a baby wipe and to do up their nappy if they can do that or put on some nappy cream with our assistance, whatever's happening. So that's already teaching them about how to care for themselves and recognise what their body needs. But any other self-care routine, invite them to participate in it and discuss what's going on. And letting them know what you're doing is also going to be a great way for them to learn. So when we are doing nappy changes, our educators are doing nappy changes, they will say, I'm going to lift your bottom up now or can you help me lift your bottom up? And we will wait. So the child might not verbally be able to respond, um, but there have been studies that from as young as, I think it's almost eight weeks, they when they're getting verbal cues like that, children will, you know, tense their muscles ready to be lifted or things like that. So they understand more than what we think. (laughs) Um, So we will, you know, I'm going to wipe you. Can you help me lift? And we pause and then we do it. So they know what's coming and they also know what does it feel like to be wiped? What does that mean? What does it feel like to be clean after I've been wiped? Takes away a lot of that mystery of what's happening down there for them too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we're also very um, careful in that process not to give any negative message about body parts or feces or urine, you know, stinky, dirty, all of that sort of thing. And just as a side note, educators at our service too will also use correct terms for body parts. So we're not going to be calling it your willy or your flower or anything like that. Um, we will use the, the correct body names. So what else we can do is if you are comfortable doing this in your household and it's you know culturally appropriate for you, model toilet use. So quite often, you know, they'll see older siblings using the toilet. They'll see other children using the toilet. And as I said, if you're happy to have an open door policy, they will see you using the toilet and understand that's part of daily life. We Never force or coax children to use the potty, but we will give clear behaviour boundaries um, so that they aren't tempted to use toilet learning as a testing ground. So this is what we talked about before. Um, and it just needs to remain free of power struggles. So we need to make the resources they need available to them. So some families may like to use a potty um, and some children may feel comfortable with that. Other families may want their child to start using a toilet. In our Adiona services and at most early childhood services, we have size appropriate toilets. We still sometimes will put a footstool for those children who can't sit on the toilet and their feet reach the floor. It's really important that children are able to put their feet on something when they're sitting on a toilet. So if they are using a toilet at home, not only do you have to adjust the seat size so they don't fall in, but make sure they also have their feet that's able to be on a footstool or some of them have the special ladders, things like that. Or you can use a potty, whatever you do. If you do use a potty, I would recommend that you invite the child to be part of emptying the potty So taking it to the toilet, tipping it down the toilet and flushing Um, because for some children the the flushing can be quite um, 
scary or overwhelming. For some children, it's exciting to watch it all happen. So just invite them in that process if you are going to use a potty so that when you decide that you're going to take that potty away, it's not a whole new scary thing for them to negotiate in the toilet. Yep. And if you are using a potty at home, um, make sure you let your educators know that as well because it's slightly different learning using a potty to a toilet and we have noticed um, on occasion uh, that children will not respond as well to toilet learning at Adiona if they're using a potty at home. Not that you shouldn't use a potty, but just to let us know so we can um, address that. Yeah, absolutely. We need to observe our children. So as I said, they will start to show signs when they need to go to the toilet. Um, In our household, we call it the toilet dance. (laughs) Um. You know, you'll be able to you know, some of the things you might notice if they're touching their nappy, pressing their thighs together, doing a little bit of a hip wiggle, um, it may be a sign that they need to go and obviously they might not want to stop what they're doing or they might not have recognised that. And you can just calmly and matter-of-factly ask them, well, do you need to go to the toilet right now or do you need to go to the potty? And if they say no, that's fine. But then we also have to be calm if they do then have an accident and maybe just talk through that. Oh, before when you were doing that, that looked like you needed to go to the toilet, but you said no. Do you think maybe you really did need to go to the toilet? You know, next time your body feels like that, maybe you should go and have a try, something like that. This is probably the tip that I found worked really well for me personally, was that when it was time for a nappy change or getting dressed at the beginning of the day or after a bath, I would just very matter-of-factly say to my children, would you like to put on a nappy or underwear and give them that choice? And I had to be okay with whatever they chose. So, you know, sometimes that was frustrating because I really wanted them to choose one or the other for whatever the situation we were in. Or, you know, I'd have it in the back of my head, well, I know that you can go to the toilet when you need to, so why are you choosing a nappy? But it's about that sense of control and for them, that's what they needed. So that worked really, really well. And I think because of that, we weren't having a lot of accidents. If we were having an accident heavy day, I would put boundaries around that. So say that we had three accidents in a row, I'd be like, you know what? I think today is just a really hard day. You know, maybe you're tired, maybe. So we're going to put on a nappy this time so that they... You know, there were still some boundaries. It wasn't like you can have 20 changes of clothes a day, um, but it was still giving that control. And it's acknowledging, look, this isn't your fault that you've had three accidents today. You know, you probably are tired or maybe you're getting sick or maybe you're just not feeling it today. Or maybe something really exciting is happening today and you really don't want to leave your play. And then uh, maybe after bath, it would, in the beginning, it was like, well, no, we still have to wear a nappy at night time for bed and then as I sort of noticed that they were waking up dry okay well let's try this do you want to go to bed without a nappy or with a nappy tonight yeah and it's within that it's really important to not make a nappy a shameful thing oh absolutely not yet yeah so that they are quite happy to jump backwards and forwards as well yeah that's exactly right and for that to work though you really truly have to be okay with whatever answer they give you you can't if they choose nappy you can't try and coerce them into wearing underwear um, or vice versa and I tell you what there's nothing more scary as a parent than that first trip to the shops when they're wearing undies I do remember that (laughs) (laughs) I was petrified the whole time we were out oh but it's great once you get a smaller bag (laughs) (laughs) going back to the small handbag is amazing yeah and we just need to yeah, calmly accept no if that's an answer. 
and also do things like, you know, take them shopping for underwear and they can go choose the Paw Patrol undies or the Elsa ones or whatever. That also has a level of excitement in it for them. But we really just have to trust that children know where they're at and that they can make choices for themselves and that, you know, unless there's something medically wrong, there's no 32-year-old walking around that hasn't figured out how to learn the toilet. Like, they will figure it out. Um, we just have to trust that they will and be there to guide them when they are ready. What uh, – just a few other – tips is that you would, if you are thinking, okay, I'm going to start offering these choices between nappies and, and underwear, just be aware of what else is happening in the child's life at that moment. As I said, if they're sick, they're not going to be able to do it as well as what they can when they're well rested and healthy. You know, if there's just been a new baby at home, that's a lot. That's a big emotional change. And so they may not have the emotion, the, you know, the psychological or emotional capacity to be able to deal with um, figuring out toileting. Um, or it becomes a really good um, power battle. Once again, from my own life, I sort of discovered toilet learning and right after my first. Uh, well, probably when my first was about two. And so I did the whole parent pressure. I need to have her trained because she's two years old. And I remember that every time I went, sat down to breastfeed her newborn brother who was <laughs> just come to the house, she would wee on the floor. So there I would be having a child attached to me, her peeing on the floor, chaos in the house. It was a rookie's mistake. On my <laughs> we want to make sure that um, we're communicating as with other caregivers. So we said before, it's really important so that we all know what's going on, what choices are being offered, what's appropriate for them to offer. We need to be giving them lots of fluid. Um, it's really hard to encourage someone to use the toilet if they're not, if they're dehydrated. And also cycling through makes the bladder stronger. So lots of liquids is really, really important. We need to encourage them to spend some time on the toilet to empty all the way out. Um, by not emptying all the way out has been linked to UTIs. It, can lead to kidney problems. It can lead to accidents because they think they're empty, but they're not really. Um, so just if you've got a rusher, just, you know, maybe encourage them to say just five minutes more or just sit there for another minute and just make sure that, you know, you're okay. Let them dress for success. Um, so toilet training, oh, sorry, toilet learning isn't the time to send your child anywhere wearing overalls. That's not going to work for anybody. So, you know, making sure you're wearing shorts, they're wearing shorts and undies that can are loose and can be easily pulled up and down is probably the best plan of attack. Yeah, and look, just to be aware that it's perfectly normal that a child may happily and willingly use the toilet for a period of time and then decide that they're not interested. That's a natural part of learning. Um, we would expect that when learning anything new, you know, you have that sudden rush of excitement and new knowledge and wanting to test it. Then the novelty wears off a bit. So we all sort of regress a little. I don't like the word regress, but we all sort of choose not to do that for a little while. Um, and then it will come back. So don't be too worried about that. The calmer and the more accepting we are of that, the shorter that period would probably be and the less of a big deal and less stressful that will be for everybody. And if you, you know, you do think that your child is intentionally choosing not to use a toilet and they're in undies, you know, just calmly say to them, you know, you don't want to or you're not ready yet to 
use the toilet, you know, let's you, you can use a nappy, you know, let's put it on. And when you're ready to use the toilet again, you just let me know. So Magda Gerber um, has a quote here that I'd just like to finish on. And it says, learning to use the toilet is a process that takes time. Rather than push or manipulate your child by giving him treats such as candy or a special reward for something that he will learn to do on his own, trust that he will learn when he is ready. Respect is based on trust. Amazing, Tracy. And we always love a bit of Magda. So <laughs> Do love a bit of Magda. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, a wealth of knowledge around toilet learning there, Tracy. And I'm sure that many families will have a lot of benefit from that. What I will say is that we will put in the, the show notes, um, um, which you'll be able to click the links to, is that I got a lot of the information from Janet Lansbury's um, blog article, Three Reasons Kids Don't Need to Toilet Tra- uh, Don't Need Toilet Training. And Lisa Sunsbury regarding she has a regarding baby blog and her she's got an article toilet learning made easy, um, and then as I said there was Stephen Hodgkins, or Hodges sorry, um, and he has a book no it's no accident breakthrough solutions to your child's wetting constipation UTIs and other potty problems, and there's a couple of um, here's a couple of free printouts and stuff there that we might see if we can put the links to as well about things that you need for healthy you know he looks at it a whole pro- holistically in terms of you know the foods your child needs to be able to eat for fiber and all of this sort of thing so it's it's a wealth of knowledge there. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Tracy. Not a problem. Thanks, everybody, and we'll speak to you next time. That's it for this episode of the Adiona Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more fascinating insights into the early childhood development process, and don't forget to rate and review the show so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode of the Adiona Podcast. Podcast.